0: Hi, everybody, uh, and welcome to the Did You Know podcast by the Louisiana Budget Project. I am Jan Moeller, the executive director. I'm joined today by our producer, Jamie Carson, and our policy analyst, Jackson Voss. Um, A reminder, if you're listening to this, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, but a reminder uh, off the top that early voting for the November 8th uh, elections in Louisiana um primary elections um, in Louisiana, general election for most of the rest of the country, starts on Tuesday, the 25th of October, and runs through Tuesday, November 1st, with the exception of Sunday. So it is election time. Those of you who vote by mail have already gotten your ballots. And today we're going to talk about the thing that I think confounds a lot of voters, and that is the constitutional amendments. Um, Critics on the left, right, and center uh, have sort of one major complaint that you hear about our Constitution all the time, and that is, you know, there are just a lot of amendments that don't seem like they belong in a document that should be a kind of a foundational document for a state that spells out rights and basic principles. And every year, it seems like we have a half a dozen or more amendments to consider, and a lot of them seem fairly arcane. And this year is a prime example of that. Uh, To help us sort through this, uh, LBP and some other community groups have put out guides that help explain these amendments. Uh, I want to draw attention to ours, uh, which was produced uh, by Jackson Voss, who's going to talk about them. Um, There are also very good guides put together by the Public Affairs Research Council of Louisiana, and by the Council for a Better Louisiana. We all have sort of different approaches to this, but if you really wanna educate yourself on these, there are some good resources out there. Uh, Jackson, let's dive into these amendments. We have eight of them we're gonna try to cover in a short amount of time. Um, Amendment one deals with uh, the amount of monies in certain state trust funds that can be invested in the stock market. What does this amendment do?
1: Yeah, so amendment 1 would currently in state law there are, there are caps set on how much the the uh, state treasury can invest our state trust funds into stocks rather than into bonds and other other form other financial instruments. So the cap for pretty much every trust fund in the state right now is set at 35%, so only about 35% of the trust funds could be uh, put into stocks. This amendment would change that for all the trust funds to 65%.
0: So, and what's the the good and the bad of this? Um, you know, I think obviously the the good side of this, uh, supporters would argue that um, that stock market over time produces uh, bigger returns for uh, than than the bond market, for example. That's if you look at a long horizon, um, and so this might be more money that's available for education, um, healthcare services, some of the pro. Uh, programs that are supported by these various trust funds. What's the downside, Jackson?
1: Yeah, so the big downside is that the stock market is inherently more risky. So when you're making uh, investments in bonds, you can expect kind of a steady rate of return, even if it's pretty low. Uh, with stocks, you can get big returns if the stock market is doing well and if companies are doing well or uh, bringing in big profits, uh, but it also comes with the risk of if there's an economic downturn. And we've seen some disruption in the stock market lately where stocks have gone way up and then way down. Um, that could cause you to, to lose some money depending on how you make these investments.
0: That's exactly right. So higher risk, uh, higher rate of return. And there's also the question of how much do we trust the treasurer of the uh, state of Louisiana to pick the stocks that these trust fund monies would actually be invested in? That's Amendment 1. Amendment 2, and I'm just going to read what it says, Um, do you support an amendment to expand certain property tax exemptions for property on which the homestead exemption is claimed for certain veterans with disabilities? Home uh, Homestead exemption for disabled veterans. Jackson, what does this do?
1: Yeah, so we in Louisiana, our homestead exemption uh, exempts anybody who claims it from paying the first $75,000. Uh, on their primary residence. So if you have a, uh, if you own a home, you're paying property taxes. You can exempt the first seventy-five thousand dollars. This would, well, this. There are also, in addition to that, there are a lot of uh, additional exemptions for certain populations, like people who have disabilities, uh, seniors, uh, people who are generally on fixed incomes, and so the, if the value of their property is going up, their incomes are not increasing with it. And so the legislature has passed a lot of these kinds of exemptions. This would be an additional exemption for any veterans who are 100% disabled, which means that they cannot work uh, and uh, therefore are not probably bringing in additional income. Um, and so this would raise it to, I wanna say the first $150,000 of their home value. Um, and that requires for parishes to agree to make the change and things like that. But essentially this expands the homestead exemption for a. a certain population.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and of course the, the, uh, supporters of this amendment would say, uh, if you gave, uh, your service to this country and you got, became disabled as a result, uh, then you probably deserve anything we can, uh, do to thank you, including forgiving you, uh, or, or sparing you from paying any property taxes. I mean, this essentially says if you're a hundred percent disabled, you don't pay any property taxes on your, uh, on your, uh, uh, homestead um you know the place where you live uh if you have rental properties or or uh so you know if you own multiple homes you would pay the taxes on the other home the downside of course uh jackson would be that property taxes are a key source of revenue for local governments this is not state money this is money that local governments use to pay for basic services and and really the only other alternative they have is is the sales tax so anytime we create these new exemptions um Uh, And we're not talking about a big population here and a very sympathetic population, but the downside is you deprive local governments of revenue that they need um, to provide services. Um, Amendment three, uh, this one has to do with uh, classified civil servants employees and what they are allowed to do if somebody in their immediate family decides to run for public office. Um, Jackson, what's the deal here? Why Why do we need this exemption?
1: Yeah, so this exemption, I don't know why we need it, but I think that this exemption, um, essentially right now, if you're a civil service employee working for the state of Louisiana, uh, you aren't allowed to engage in the political process uh, other than voting, right? And so you can't run for office, be a member of a political party committee, you can't raise money for a party or for a candidate, uh, and you're not supposed to take any active role in a political campaign. This amendment is for people who have direct family members who are running for office so that they can appear in campaign events like at a rally or a speech or things like that, or a fundraiser, uh, or uh, to appear in campaign advertisements. So if you have a flyer or a a pamphlet or a commercial, uh, this would allow those family members who are civil service employees to make an appearance at those.
0: And it's a pretty broad definition, isn't it, of what we call immediate family members. We're not just talking your, about your wife and,
1: and your your son here, right? Right. So it could include parents. It's a it's a, a kind of a lengthy, um, lengthy
0: list. We don't have time yeah. to list all of them. Um, Jackson, who's asking for this? Is it the civil servants who are begging to be part of the campaign advertisements, or is it the politicians uh, who want to be able to include... Uh, uh, pose with their wife or their lovely family uh, when they're running for office.
1: Yeah, I think definitely the latter.
0: (laughs) All right, Uh, that's Amendment 3. Amendment 4 has to do with uh, water charges that are the result of damage to water systems that aren't the customer's fault. Why do we need this in the state constitution? What does this one do?
1: So right now, uh, the state constitution actually prohibits state and local governments from waiving charges uh, for water, water services that, uh, or for charges that are the result of a water service having something wrong with it. So for example, if you have a pipe broken, um, in your neighborhood and you're, you're being assessed a charge for the water that goes through that break, uh, there's no way for a local or, or state government agency to say, um, You don't have to pay for that. Right. And so this is an issue for anybody with like a publicly owned or municipal uh, utility that provides their water service. Um, The water company might waive your charges if they are feeling generous, but they don't have to. And there's no way for your local government to say that you don't have to. So that would change this.
0: It seems like common sense to me, but but what do I know? I think uh, on the downside, critics would say we have a lot of uh, municipal water systems in this state that are in dire financial straits, and this would of course you know potentially increase the pressure on them to uh, to forgive certain bills um, if, if customers don't like it. But it also seems very unfair, at least to me, for somebody to pay a water bill that is extra high because of something that wasn't their fault. Um, Amendment five, this is a second one dealing with property taxes, and this is a pretty complex one. I don't know if we want to go through all the details of what it does, but it, uh, it it seems that that the point of this is to allow local governments a little bit more time to consider whether to roll forward or backwards a property tax millage after a reassessment uh, so that they get a little bit more um you know, a a little bit more time to consider whether, whether to, uh, you know, your home, uh, your property taxes should go up after your home is reassessed. Uh, Is that what it does? And and why is this necessary?
1: Yeah, so essentially, right now, to your point, it's, it's our the way that we tax property in the state and raise revenues can be very complicated sometimes. Uh, And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But essentially, uh, whenever your local government institutes a millage, which is a tax on a 1000th a, a of a penny or a 1000th of a dollar. Um, they're, they're collecting revenues for to invest in local government projects usually. but the way that the millages work is that they have to be approved and reassessed as property values change. Um, And that can become a kind of a complicated process. It's because it requires two-thirds vote by whatever the local taxing body is. So this amendment is really just meant to simplify that process for local governments, make it to where they can charge the the, the appropriate millage rate for, for property owners as properties are assessed, even if it's in between the standard period of when that millage lasts, or in between property assessment terms. So every four years, your property is supposed to get assessed, and that's supposed to set your millages. This will, would change that just slightly, allowing you to be charged the appropriate tax rate for your house.
0: Yeah and and so so this is really a, a timing thing. Uh, I want to add this is something that municipalities uh in Louisiana are very much in favor and I think most assessors are in favor of it. There might be one or two assessors out there that that have some qualms about it, but this is something that you know your local uh police jury or uh, or city council or uh, park district or whoever benefits from property taxes is probably very much in favor of this uh, because it gives them a little more time to plan. Um, Amendment six, this is a property tax amendment that only applies to Orleans Parish, but the entire state has to vote on how much property taxes can go up in Orleans Parish uh, on, on homesteads. Uh, where there's been, of course, a real uh, increase in property values uh, in the last few years. Jackson, tell us about this one.
1: Yeah, so this is really, this is an amendment is intended to help slow down how quickly um, property taxes are going up as property values in New, in New Orleans specifically uh, have started to kind of escalate out of, out of uh, to the point where certain homeowners and property owners are not going to be able to afford to keep up necessarily. Um, so I think everybody's familiar with uh, everything else that's going up in cost. It's also uh, doubly true in some cases for housing um, and for, for property. And so this is really just meant to help tamp down on how much people are paying in property taxes in New Orleans so that they can catch up to the value. Um, it's, it's uh complicated and difficult thing to kind of deal with. And this is the the tool that that some legislators thought they needed to kind of help address that.
0: Okay. And so the, the, the this is one of those amendments that if you don't live in New Orleans, uh, it doesn't affect you at all, but you still get to vote on it. If you do live in New Orleans, um, then it could help uh, mitigate any property tax increases that you face because your house has gained value, but it also means that local government could have less revenue available to pay for the things that, that people expect local government to pay for. So, so there's a cost and a benefit uh, to this amendment. Um, um, let's get to Amendment 7, and this is probably the most difficult of the amendments, um, and it talks, and, and the language is pretty clear. It says, do you support an amendment to prohibit the use of involuntary servitude except as it applies to the otherwise lawful administration of criminal justice. This amendment is about slavery. Um, and tell us why this amendment is necessary, what it does and what it doesn't do, and why has this been controversial?
1: Yeah, so the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which also was, had to be adopted by all, all the states, uh, in their constitutions, and Louisiana has included it in its constitution, ban slavery and involuntary, slave, uh, involuntary servitude, except when involuntary servitude is used as a punishment for a crime. And so originally this amendment was intended to to close that, what's kind of called the, the 13th Amendment loophole, right? Which really allows for uh, un, unpaid or nearly unpaid prison labor. Um this amendment was changed as it kind of made its way through the legislature to modify that that closing of the loophole to to read except as it applies to otherwise lawful administration of criminal justice, and that's really where a lot of confusion has arisen and where a lot of um, uh, kind of complexity and uh, controversy has kind of risen up as a result.
0: Okay, so. Let's talk about is this amendment going to ch- so so the noble the intent here was very noble, right? It, it was uh, uh, the author was Edmund Jordan, a representative from Baton Rouge. And his intent was to get some antiquated language out of our constitution that enables uh, prison labor. and And there are folks who who really think that this is an area that's ripe for reform, right? We have a lot of people. Uh, on on work release, and a lot of companies kind of getting rich. And and this is an area where there's, we know there's a lot of abuse and exploitation. And and that was the idea behind this. Uh, It got changed in the legislative process, nobody kind of caught it. And so now we're at a place where this is on the ballot, but the author of the amendment himself says he's going to vote against it, and try to uh, come back uh, next year in 2023 with different language. Is is that what, what we're looking at?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, important to clarify uh, neither of us are lawyers but I think that it's it's it seems to me based on what I've I have been able to read and conversations with others that the impact of this change is likely to be that there is not an impact from the change that's being made which is unfortunate but it also perhaps uh, reduces the um the costs of of voting for this, I think that, like you said, there's some real, real important symbolic value, uh, but it's unfortunate that this becomes only symbolic, right? I think because the original intent uh, by Rep- Representative Jordan and others who supported this was to really have a positive impact for uh, incarcerated workers in Louisiana.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a shame because, again, yeah, let's stress, neither Jackson nor I are lawyers and lawyers have very different opinions uh, as to the effect of this. But the symbolic value, and I know a lot of our friends, Jackson, in the civil rights community are rightly worried that if this amendment goes down, if it gets voted down, then it will be seen as Louisiana voters rejected an anti-slavery amendment. So there is a, a some PR uh, issues at stake. You know, if you live in Louisiana long enough, you're uh, used to the state getting a black guy in the national media, and and this would be, I think, an undeserved black eye. But uh, you know, we live in a media saturated age. Uh, that's why we're doing a podcast, um, and and so there's some some real symbolic issues as well as these very important issues about uh, prison labor going forward. Uh, One more amendment um, on the ballot, Uh, again, property taxes, number eight, Um, and this has to do with homeowners uh, who are permanently and totally disabled um, and who get a special property tax break as a result of that having to uh, certify their income every year. Uh, What's this about? Why is this on the ballot?
1: Yeah, so I think to the point you made, these are people who are completely disabled, 100% disabled. And basically, right now, in order to keep their special uh, exemption uh, the assessment, which keeps their property taxes at a stable level for them because their incomes don't increase, uh, or at least they don't—they don't keep up with, for example, the cost of property values increasing. Um, the purpose of this is to eliminate the need to recertify each year that you are still 100% disabled, right? Um, for the, for the most part as far as i know most people don't uh don't typically recover from that level of disability and so there's not really any expectation that their incomes are going to dramatically increase uh over time and this really is meant to help simplify the process for those people so that they're not having to kind of go through some additional administrative burden when they're keeping their property taxes at at a, a steady rate
0: yeah so that's and that's I think that's an excellent explanation. I think there are folks who say this is just an additional burden, an administrative burden that we put on people who don't need any more burdens put on them. Um, there are folks on the other side who would say this is not a lot to ask, and and because this uh, uh, assessment, this frozen assessment, is only available to people who make below $100,000 a year. I suppose there are people who are permanently and totally disabled, I don't know how many, who may have incomes above that. Maybe they have a trust fund or maybe they have some sort of income coming in, maybe they win the lottery. And and I guess the state wants to make sure that if you are in that uh, uh, group that that you pay property taxes like everybody else. Again, uh, this is something that affects very, very few people in Louisiana. but it's on the ballot, uh, along with seven other measures. Um, anyway, uh, again, this has been the Did You Know podcast. Jackson, thank you so much for your work on, on these amendments. Um, we hope that everybody takes the time to read our guide, to educate themselves on these amendments, even though this is one of those years where it seems like there are too many amendments um, on the ballot, uh, these things can get confusing. For a lot of voters, there's gonna be more constitutional amendments than candidates on their ballot, uh, but all of these are important to somebody and, uh, and they're there for a reason. All of them went through the legislature with at least two thirds support. Um, so we, we urge everybody to get educated on these. Again, the budget project is not taking official positions on these but we do provide some analysis and there are other good sources out there if you want to read more about them. Um, And with that, uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to talk about the uh, three amendments on the uh, December 10th ballot in a couple of weeks. Uh, We've got analysis of those two that are also on our website. So don't think you're done with the amendments just yet after you vote on November 8th. We hope you go to the polls. Thank you for listening.